Welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is Amy Austin. It is the end of August. I'm recording a couple days early before this episode releases. And I am back in Los Angeles. I've been here about two days. And I am battling jet lag. No joke. I was up at one this morning. Maybe again at four. I went biking, did all the things, and now it's only 9 a.m. And it's going to be a really long day as I try to stay awake. But the exciting thing about this episode is that it features USA Today bestselling author Rachel Grant. I met Rachel, oh God, I, so many writers. I met Rachel, I think, uh, two or three years ago. You have to factor in 2020, so maybe four years ago. And um, one of the things that I found to be fascinating about her is that she used to be an archaeologist. And she will certainly talk about that in this episode. I think, um, and we talk about this a little bit, she inspired me to ask authors about their other jobs because most of the authors I know did not come out of the gate, you know, writing and authoring books as a full-time job. And before that, they had some other job, which was really quite fascinating, or some of them still have it, at least part-time, or they have a job that they can actually do part-time around children and all the other responsibilities that women usually take on. So this uh, episode comes out uh, two weeks after the release of Rachel's book. Um, Rachel had a book, has, has a book, that was just released called Dangerous Ground. You can check it out on Amazon and, um, and Audible as well. And one of the things that um, is interesting is that Rachel is one of the authors who sort of, you know, walks that intersection between romance and um, thrillers. Um, in the romantic suspense space, but in my head, she <laughs> tilts a little bit more toward thrillers than some other authors um, who write in this uh, subgenre. So, without much further ado, I can't wait for you to hear this lovely conversation with USA Today bestselling author Rachel Grant. Hi, welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is Amy Austin, and this month I have the great pleasure of speaking with USA Today bestselling author Rachel Grant. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, so Rachel, okay, I haven't seen you in so long, and that's hard, but um, I love hanging out with you, and I'm so glad to have the opportunity to speak with you and have my listeners hear all about your books. Oh, thank you. So I, okay, so one of the things, okay, I, actually, I think I should rename the podcast because apparently um, I've gotten the email that I keep saying I have so many questions, but one of the things about having like a bunch of women friends who are sort of like brilliant and creative is I have so many questions. <laughs> I love that. Um, but the first question I want to ask you, because I didn't know this about you until we were in Houston and I don't know what you showed us. See, this is, I don't remember this part because it was not yesterday. Um, and I found out that you used to be an archaeologist. And yes. I think you're the one that prompted when we did like a round table. I was like, I want to know what the job everybody had beforehand because this is like fascinating because I know, so I used to be a lawyer and I know a lot of authors used to be lawyers. And to me, that's uninteresting to be frank. Um, <laughs> but then we were going around the room and like, you know, like Susan Grant's like, I'm an airline pilot. And then like, somebody's like, I'm a psychologist. And you're like, I'm an archaeologist. And I was like, Oh my God. 
my god like you have all the interesting jobs <laughs> like I, so you know i loved talking to susan oh my gosh her I, stories i know it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> i do i love i i've had other friends who i have had they're still my friends who are airline pilots and i it's it's one of those jobs that's super interesting i don't think i'd want it but I, mm-hmm. it, I still find it super, super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would find it totally terrifying, <laughs> but I find a lot of things terrifying. So, you know, <laughs> but I think that's one of those jobs that's boredom and adrenaline and I don't do yeah. well in those spaces. Like I just want it to be even, I don't want to be bored and then, woo, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially those long flights that she does. Yeah. National ones. I, oh. oh yeah. I couldn't even imagine that. <laughs> no. Cause you have to be alert the whole time. And since I'm a person who sleeps on flights. <laughs> like the there's something about being rocked in the little cradle of the plane yes that puts me out right away like I I have experienced very few takeoffs because once they turn on that white noise I'm like I'm out oh that's awesome I'm I am envious Mm -hmm. I try to go to sleep but it never it rarely works oh I oversleep and then I can't sleep when I land but that's a different conversation so (laughs) um I guess okay I, I uh, was an archaeologist. Um, I have a degree in in anthropology, which is um, is the the degree is mm-hmm. it, the official. It, uh, archaeology is one of the four um, sub disciplines of anthropology. So I have a degree in anthropology, and I worked for a decade um, uh, as an archaeologist in the field. Um, and I'm married to an archaeologist. Um, he has a master's degree. Wow. Um, in nautical archaeology, which is um, underwater archaeology, it's shipwreck <gasps> okay. archaeology. So he's wow. like the sexiest kind of archaeologist of all, and he helps me because he's still he he works for the U.S. Navy um, for the Department of Defense. Oh. Um, and prior to working for the Navy, he worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, so that was also Department of Defense. And then prior to that, he worked for uh, Naval History and Heritage Command, which was the is the U.S. Navy's underwater archaeology branch. So he worked doing underwater archaeology for the Navy <laughs> um, uh, a whole yeah, a, a while ago. So he he's spent the last um, over twenty years working for the Department of Defense as an archaeologist. And my books are where archaeology, politics, and war combine. Because the thing that most people don't know is that archaeology and the U.S. Department of Defense intersect a whole lot. And I happen to have a really deep insight into that, <laughs> <laughs> being married to Dave. And so um, so he helps me with, with some of the plotting issues of my books. Um, I actually have several heroines who work for Naval History and Heritage Command, which is in D.C. at the Washington Navy Yard, which is where my husband used to work. Um, I put them there because it was just, I mean, it just made perfect sense to, mm-hmm. to put them in this political landscape doing underwater archaeology or terrestrial because the, the uh, his, History and Heritage Command has the underwater archaeology branch, mm-hmm. which matters because the Navy retains sovereignty over every vessel or aircraft that has crashed or sunk. Really? Anywhere I mean, we didn't know in that. The world. Wow. So yeah, so exactly. So that's why the underwater archaeology branch of the US Navy is so important is because we have World War II vessels um not just in Pearl Harbor. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're all over the world where they sank. These are, you know, often places where people died. Mm-hmm. Um and so the Navy retains sovereignty 
of that property, even if it's in foreign waters. And, um, and so there's a whole lot of things that happen um, when uh, another, a shipwreck or an air, aircraft is found. And um, there's, there's, you know, things that are talked about. And sometimes um, they, um, you know, will try to, you know, bring up the aircraft or at least document it. Um, right up, including, and this was during the time my husband worked uh, there, um, the, uh, during the Civil War, uh, the um, Confederates uh, had a submarine that um, the Hunley, that they, it was the, the first submarine, mm-hmm. and it sank the Housatonic, which was, um, which uh, was a ship uh, for the Union, mm-hmm. and um, my husband worked on, so author Clive Cussler right. was very interested in archaeology. He helped fund and find the Hunley. So the Hunley was found Gosh, I want to say it was like the mid '90s, somewhere okay. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Clive Kessler was involved, and and they they found the Hunley, and then in the late '90s, um, the uh, UAB Underwater Archaeology Branch at Naval History and Heritage Command did a dig on both the Hunley. They they did bring up the Hunley, but they also did um, documentation of the Housatonic. And my husband dove on the Housatonic, and he worked on that project. And okay. So, Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so wait, okay, they brought it up and took it where? Like I'm just the, the Hunley. The Hunley. They did bring it up. Uh, there's a whole documentary. I, oh gosh, I haven't even seen it. Oh my gosh, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> but they did. They did an, a, a whole documentary about um, examining the the Hunley, the wreck of the Hunley after they brought it up, and and the, you know they have a massive lab because a lot of things you actually have to keep in water. You bring it. Uh, it's been submerged since the Civil War. Oh, um, it's right. gonna. It's gonna you know rot if you bring it up and you don't keep it you know in water but other things you can you know they can go through a process and I actually don't know much about any of that that's you know that's a different degree that I don't have but they did do a, a documentary about uh researching when they because they brought up the Hunley they identified they, the remains were still there they they you know so um as far as underwater archaeology goes it's you know it's it's pretty fascinating it is the first um, submarine, um, mm-hmm. and as far and, and it sank a ship in battle, in, mm-hmm. you know, so at a time of war. So that, so yeah, so the Navy even retained sovereignty over that, though, even though that was Civil War, still U.S. Navy, right? Whether it's Confederate or <laughs> or Union, and so so that's why the um, the Navy was involved. And so it's been very, it's, 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 it's very interesting and fun having, you know, my husband to just sort of like randomly tell me about things. Actually, that brings me to my next book that I have coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was going to go up to the Aleutians to work on a project on Adak Island for the Navy uh, a year ago. It was actually supposed to be well, it was, it was a, almost two years ago now. COVID kind of changed everything. Like, right, so yeah, I of just course. Sort of I just subtract a year. <laughs> exactly. But two, two years ago, there was a really good chance. He was supposed to go up to ADAC to work on a project. And I was like, ADAC, tell me about ADAC. I don't know anything about this island in the Aleutians. And, and it just sounded so interesting. There's World War II base there. And, um, and so uh, several months later, I'm invited to submit a proposal to Montlake. And I was like, well, I would love to set a book in the Aleutians. And I've just learned all this stuff about this military base, uh, the World War II military base 
up on Adak Island. So uh, that's my setting. And and for me, setting is character. Like it's, I really need to know the setting before I can even start to think about the plot of the book. It's, wow. It's, okay. The setting is always a character. And so I went down this rabbit hole of researching the Aleutians and oh my God, I'm in love. I mean, it's just <laughs> this amazing place, this chain of islands. And um, so that's going to be my uh, Montlake book uh, called Dangerous Ground, releases on August 17th. Oh, okay. And it's set in the Aleutians. And I'm just super thrilled. I actually really excited to share that I got a starred review from Publishers Weekly this week. For oh, that that's book. so cool. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm sorry. I'm, that's okay. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> that must well, feel spectacular. To to <laughs> <laughs> so my husband never got to go to ADAC. Uh, and so when it came to actually writing it, I was like, but you were supposed to go. <laughs> um, no, but he actually hooked me up with a, an archaeologist who has done a lot of field work up in the Aleutians. And um, she turned out she's a fan of mine. And so she 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 sent me pictures of the field camp and described the field dis- uh, things. And, and then last week. She tweeted a picture. I sent her a copy of the print arc mm-hmm. and she, she was doing field work in the Aleutians. So she brought it with her and she tweeted a picture of my book. Oh, that's so the great. In the Aleutians. In the Aleutians. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That must be so great. I can only, <laughs> I can only imagine that I, because I like it when authors like um, have print books and then they like, well, Instagram or tweet or whatever, like them holding the book, but it's usually in their car or something. I don't know why they're always in the car. Oh, maybe I don't know why. <laughs> like now I got to think about it probably because they bought it and maybe that's just from the car. Um, but um, that's super exciting. I mean, that's, that's super cool. So, so the only reason, not the only reason, I guess, well, uh, there was that time when you, when we were in that group and you talked about being an archaeologist, but I remember I should have looked on Amazon, but I can't do it now because of the internet, but I bought one of the books that you bought, I believe it was a box set. And when I started on page one, she was out. I was like, wait, wait, she's doing archaeology. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just had to pause because I was, that is something, it doesn't come up often. I feel like during the 80s, there was a sort of moment when there were a lot of books, movies, et cetera, talking about that. But I feel like it's not a thing that people talk about as much anymore. And you well, had yeah. focused and, on sort of the idea of archaeology in a war zone, which I had not, well, no, I thought of it in terms of Iraq, but I had not thought of it beyond that. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, and so much of what you see of archaeology and fiction isn't really archaeology. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the Indiana Jones fable where yes. the archaeologist is really a treasure hunter. He's destroying the site and stealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, for me, like I, I can... I can enjoy the Indiana Jones movies when I separate the idea that he's supposed to be an archaeologist because he's right. not. Right. <laughs> um, anyone who steals the golden idol and then runs from the natives who are trying to protect their heritage. Yes. Not so cool. He's <laughs> not the hero, you know, but as a, as a movie, it's great fun. I don't want to tell anyone that they can't enjoy the movie, right. but, um, and so that for me was always my starting point was I'm going to tell the real story of archaeology of how archaeology is done um which is it's, in this country it's you know it's cultural resources management is is what it's called mm-hmm. um and it's not um just you know showing up and 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 grabbing the goods and um 
you know, it's really about, uh, you know, the, the, the field work aspect is, is about the information. Um, archaeologists are also really careful about where we dig because digging is a destructive process. So right. to gain the information, you're destroying the site. Right. And so it's just not something that you're going to just walk into. I mean, one, you're just not allowed. You can't just walk up and be like, I think that this must be a cool site and I'm going to dig here, which I've seen in so many books. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like that at all. You know, you need, you need permission, you need reasons, you need research questions, you need there, you know, um, there, or sometimes the driver, especially in cultural resources management, which is the field is the aspect of archaeology that I worked in for a decade is that, you know, so, okay, say, let's say a road is going to go through. Mm-hmm. And so that site is going to be destroyed. Right. Well, so then our job was to gather all the data that we could before it was destroyed. And so then oh. that's a situation where, where the fact that we're destroying the site by digging it is less important because we're at least getting the information. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. this was my experience in Greece. So I went to Athens. Oh God. See the years. I want to say 2018. And there was some, I don't even know how to explain it. On the street, there was this little like pop-up museum. And I was like, why is this here? And they're like, before the Olympics, they had put in a subway, which Athens oh. had. But yep. since they were going to put in a subway, there was obviously going to be an immense amount of tunneling. Oh, and yeah. So during that process, um, they also rescued a lot of artifacts that otherwise mm-hmm. would have just remained, you know, underground. Um, and that was super interesting. So what I saw was basically like a plexiglass over a tunnel where they had come across, come across artifacts and therefore diverted the tunnel. I don't know a lot about that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, that's, yep. And that's great. And that was, and then what was displayed there, you know, how Europe is because they have so many things to display there everywhere. The, what was displayed there, like out on the street, you know, (laughs) were the things that they had found when tunneling and circumventing Mm -hmm. this particular site. So that yeah. I, I, I'd seen that, but that's, I think the only time I've ever seen where there was going to be some destruction. And so therefore, while we're doing this, let's do that as well. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. Uh, I, I would love to, I, I, you know, classical archeology, span which is, is the, you know, when you're talking about Greece and, mm-hmm. um, and Egypt and, uh, that, you know, I would, I, I've never, I've never done that. I, I have, I went to Europe on my honeymoon, but I haven't really, really traveled there and I would I would love to see all those sites and and um because it's just it's so different it's so different from my experience it's super interesting um it's it's just interesting um well there's a lot of UNESCO sites as well but it's mm-hmm. really interesting what well because of civilization obviously but it's really interesting what has been recovered um what's highlighted there's a I have a lot of thoughts about all of it but it's something that I don't experience here in the U.S. Um, yeah. And so it's just, but then of course they don't have dinosaurs. So, I mean, so, you know, <laughs> which people always point out, they're like, well, we didn't open the ground and found dinosaurs. I mean, they do have some, but not the big ones that we have here. And so mm-hmm. it's super interesting, a lot of that. But do you think, and I'm going to ask you, because I actually don't know, is has that changed? Because my experience of like reading books as a kid um, about like historical sites is that a lot of like Europeans were able to, let's say in the 17 and 1800s, just sort of dig because they were interested as opposed yeah. to, you know, yeah. now where things are a little bit more controlled. Where now there's, we have laws. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the early, the early days of archaeology are pretty shameful for archaeologists and anthropologists. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's pretty horrifying. I mean, Indiana Jones is closer to 
too real in that aspect. Right. Um, as far as, as, you know, it really was just, you know, I mean, even, even Schliemann who, um, you know, was searching for, for Troy, mm -hmm. um, blast, he used dynamite and blasted probably through the layers that were actually, you know, to the period he was searching for, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's the beginning stages of archeology span was, was, um, uh, yeah, again, it's a destructive uh, en endeavor. And mm -hmm. so, so, you know, we've learned since Schliemann to be more careful <laughs> 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 and be more respectful, you know, not, mm -hmm. you know, taking it for, you know, for our museums and, and, uh, and instead it, you know, remains with the culture it belongs to, which is how it should be. That So, so um, I'm guessing from, what we were talking about before about doing archaeology in a war zone that you were probably referring to tinderbox yes. which is set yeah. in Djibouti mm -hmm. um and um and that book was inspired because my husband was sent to Djibouti by the navy to do some field work for a few weeks oh, um okay. and um and so I was like well this is fascinating I think I'll write a book about it this is so <laughs> funny because I opened the book like I had met you and then I don't remember why. So I bought the book and I opened it and I was like, wait, there's more to this than, than, than I thought. Like I had not, <laughs> just because you said you had done archaeology and we had talked about covers and everything, but I guess I never asked you what you wrote about or when you said you wrote thrillers. Okay. So I write thrillers, but I guess, okay, look, it was my frame of reference. I'm like, oh, she's writing about people like who murder or like, you know, rape or sex trafficking or whatever. <laughs> And then I opened the book and I was like, oh no, this is like not what I expected. It was just a moment where I had to like, I was like, oh no, she, she's on her, like, this is different. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And it was fine once I had that initial adjustment, but it, mm -hmm. I don't know. I also, okay. So I don't read the back of books. I don't read blurbs because I don't like spoilers. So I want to go into it as a new experience, but knowing it was a thriller and knowing we'd had conversations about thrillers, I guess my expectation. Was I could different. see how that would totally be like, well, I do that too with some books I, I, where I don't read blurbs. It's just, you know, more just like the, you know, the interest of let's see where this takes me. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I can see how, especially a, a book set in Djibouti, you're not going to be expecting it to be about um, an, an, an archaeologist um, and, and, uh, and and green beret, but also the 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 political dynamics of the situation that were entirely wrapped around the archaeology, like, right? Which isn't what you think of, but it's what I think of. So I right, and 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 it's so it's so interesting because it's natural for you and how your brain works. But for me, I was like, let me take a pause, and then I I don't know if I asked you online or if I like went on Amazon. I was like, wait, let me read a little bit more about this. Hold on, <laughs> and then I went back to the book, but it was just I had to take a moment because. So most of the authors we know write romance and even the ones that write thrillers, they're not as intensely, um, okay, you talk about the sense of place. They don't usually have as intense a sense of place that yours did. And so yeah. it was just, it was more, I have read a lot of books similar. I just didn't expect it from you. I don't know what to say. That yeah, doesn't yeah, make any no, sense. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, when that book was being shopped by my agent, um, I was, you know, hearing a lot, not not just from traditional New York publishers, but from other authors who were telling me their experience of being a woman writing thrillers mm -hmm. um, and having books put out there, is that basically women authors aren't 
aren't as accepted writing international thrillers I could imagine. as I could see, yeah. male authors. Mm-hmm. And so, so I was a harder sell. And that book, um, I self-published it. That book did not sell traditionally. I was a harder sell because it was a foreign setting. And, mm-hmm. and that whole series is set. Uh, the starting point is Djibouti. But then uh, there's another book that's set in South Sudan, another one that's set in Democratic Republic of the, of the Congo. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is, is back in Djibouti again. But they all start in Djibouti because it's all the same deployment of this team of Green Berets. Right. And, but, it, but so I could totally understand, like, again, you don't see a lot of women writing international set thrillers. Right. Um, that, you know, that are, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I just, mean, most of us write domestic and I don't know. God, I'm trying to think because when I started publishing in thrillers, something else was a hard sell, but it's always, it's always something, but yeah, <laughs> it's right. always something. <laughs> Why can't we sell this book? But I, but most of the authors I read are mostly domestic thrillers or police procedurals or legal thrillers. Um, and that's, so in that sense, I read pretty widely, but in that sense, maybe I read narrowly. So I'm always interested in that intersection between like women's fiction and thrillers and so I opened your book I guess with some expectation in my head and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my expectation has immediately been thrown off hold on (laughs) let me pause I have to reset and now I can read but it was super interesting because I don't read books like that often I used to like in the 90s and then I don't know why I stopped you know it's so hard to know you know my Mm -hmm. reading is influenced by like what people say and what librarians say and you know just Mm -hmm. I I'm buffeted by the waters. So um, I don't pick so much as what comes in the door is what I read, which is its own thing. Um, But I guess that it was just startling, but it's so interesting because I miss those books because when I was a kid, that's how I sort of traveled because my mother Mm -hmm. was like, my mother was very narrowly focused. She's like, I like to go to the Caribbean. And so I've been to like maybe 15 Caribbean islands, you know, which is, yeah, I don't, I don't ever go again. I I could never do a beach vacation. So that's, sort of so that was my it was limited based on what my mother's willing to do obviously um, and I was a child and didn't have a lot of choices so that's sort of how I was but I wanted I was interested in other places and so reading like when I was eight nine ten eleven a lot of the what I learned about other places was through books um, but I don't know if I read that way anymore maybe because I travel more so I don't maybe I don't need to do it as much yeah, I think yeah about that. exactly for me it was really daunting um because up until, up until I, um, actually it was, so Tinderbox, my husband had been to Djibouti, but um, the next book after that is Catalyst. And that's the one that's set in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the first book I've written that neither my husband nor myself have ever been there. And that was really daunting, especially because, as I said earlier, um, setting is character for me. Right. I mean, that's like setting is just pivotal. Mm-hmm. And so it was hugely terrifying to be writing such an incredibly foreign setting mm-hmm. that, you know, I hadn't been to, I don't know anyone who's been to South Sudan. Because I don't um, think many of us can travel there. Exactly. You know, the, the civil war that they have um, been in, uh, you know, uh, that started two years after they achieved independence. Right. They're the world's youngest democracy. And then they went into civil war two years later. And it's right. been brutal. And so, uh, but it, anyways, but that was, um, for me, I, I learned other ways of getting immersed in the setting. I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks, read every news article, watched lots of YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, um, 
you know, I've I've been very very gratified to receive um, uh, uh, fan letters from people who not they're not from South Sudan. Right. You know, they're not having an opportunity <laughs> to read my books, right. and they they wouldn't be if they could. Like you know, <laughs> but from other people in Africa who. Um, who are like, you know, wow, you actually really, really uh, encapsulated the political situation there and, and described it well. And so that's really gratifying because it is so daunting to be writing about something, especially something that, you know, difficult and heartbreaking is, you know, famine in South Sudan and period poverty. There's, mm. you know, these are my fun romance themes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so important to me. Like, I mean, one of the things that I take when I'm, when I'm going into writing a story like that is that, is that um, I can't, I can't, no, no one can right now and give Sudan a, a happy ending, right. but I could highlight, I can shine a light on this is actually happening in the world. And this, you know, we should care, mm -hmm. we, you know, this matters. And so, so it's been, it's been an interesting process to step away from that. I have traveled and been this place and now I'm going to write about it to, to um, just like, okay, I got to go all in on the research because if I'm going to write this, I'd better do it as authentically as possible. Yeah. So when it comes to Dangerous Ground, my book that's coming out in August, mm -hmm. um, which is set in the Aleutians, again, my husband didn't get to go there. <laughs> I have been to Alaska, but I haven't been to the Aleutians. And um, my son has a, a gaming system, a virtual reality gaming system mm -hmm. that allows you to load Google Earth into oh, it. Oh, really? So okay. <laughs> he, so I put on the Google Earth goggles right. and I went to Adak Island. I went to Attu and I looked at the World War II ruins and I walked and then I flew above the volcano and it was crazy weird. <laughs> that is amazing. I went to, before the pandemic, my, la my son's last birthday was like a virtual reality party. Um, uh -huh. and he really enjoys it. I find it odd. I don't know. It's out mm -hmm. of, it's out of body. That's it, all I can say. It is out of body. Mm -hmm. It makes your stomach feel a little weird. Yes. <laughs> very disorienting. I can only handle it for short periods of time, but it was at the same time, it was just really fascinating. I mean, obviously you're not feeling the wind because apparently the, the Aleutian islands, like the wind is insane. You're not, you're not getting that physical oh, right. aspect of the experience, but it was really neat to be able to like be standing, you know, on the city street and looking, you know, no. <laughs> but it is when you can't see your own body in the, in the frame. Right. It's really weird. That's the, <laughs> I think that's the disconnecting part because sometimes they have hands or whatever and that's all you can see. And I, I, yes, it's that brain body disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> that I find daunting. My child does not, but I do. Um, yeah. But that's amazing use of technology. Because one of the things my son and I do, because um, we're those people, is we play a game called GeoGuessr. So basically people, it's like a, it's, a, it's another Googler sort of thing where they drop you somewhere on earth and then you have to figure out from the clues where you Ooh. are within a short, wow. short period of time. Um, we're good at it sometimes and sometimes not. There are two countries I can't ever get right, which we're not going to get into. One is the Philippines, the first time I got it, and every subsequent time, I'm like, this looks vaguely, and I just can't put it together in my head. But it's a super interesting, I, I don't know if you, when you travel, I don't know if you, well, I don't always think of the world on the, on the ground level. And it's sort of mm -hmm. a super interesting way to like explore other places because you don't, 
walk, especially in rural areas when you travel, at least I don't, you don't walk as much in places like that, that you can mm-hmm. um, virtually. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, when I first started traveling, Google Earth wasn't a thing outside of the U.S., and I remember when they started adding most of the world, although most Germany is still ex- ex- exempted. I, I keep meaning to look that up. Um, mm. But it's super interesting to have a sense of the world at ground level from your yeah. house, from your house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'm going to have to ask, uh, ask my son about getting that game because that's how I am actually horrible at geography. I'm really bad, like really, really bad. But with, my writing, I have been trying to like, especially when I wrote, um, you know, four books in a row that were set in Africa, I mm-hmm. started going and picking like the, you know, the online tests where, where the map is blank and blank. you had to name them yes. and, you know, and, um, and I was getting better at it, but, oh, you know, I'm not good. So no, my so son- I would fail miserably at this game. <laughs> no. So my son and I do that for fun. So we just bought a card game because God, the pandemic. So we just bought a card game and the part of the card game comes with a blank world map and 195 cards. And one of the challenges is placing the countries. So in my wow. head, I am like well-versed in geography. And it turns out I'm well-versed at about 30 countries. And then yeah. beyond that, I can't get it right. Like, I, I was telling, like, I confused Ecuador and Suriname. Let's not get, like, you know, it is what it is. And I just, I just don't understand, like, why I struggle with, like, South America or I struggle with, like, Central Africa. Um, or at some point, there's countries on the, I don't even know, the Adriatic Sea. And I'm just like, ah. So I, I choose to blame public education for my failures there. I never actually had any geography lessons in, in any of my grades. In Seriously? School. So I... Yeah, none. It never, it was like, I don't know, somehow between, I, I lived in California till I was seven, Michigan till I was 14, and Florida until I was 21. And so between those three public school systems, I must have just missed geography every single time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's my excuse, right. and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I mean, I remember having to learn the 50 states, but that's, you know, you know, come on. <laughs> we, but we talked about that the other night. And I think, look, I'm going to be honest. We were just talking about it. I'm like, I think I could probably get up to 42. I said, but somewhere with like North Dakota, South Dakota, something's going to get lost in there. I'm just going to admit it. Like, it's just going to yeah. be like, I don't know. There's a lot of squares over there. Um, <laughs> but, but you, but you write a lot about uh, international locations and you've been to some places that most people haven't been. Well, my husband has. Yeah. I've, I, I've been pretty, I mean, I haven't, I haven't traveled very much, my, but my husband through his work, he's been to American Samoa. He's been to, um, uh, Palau. He's, he actually uh, worked in Palau twice, um, in between. So the first time he spent four months there and it was when we were engaged. And in fact, the week, the week that he arrived in Palau, mm-hmm. Um, they got internet for the first time. So his, um, the company that he worked for had the second email address that was assigned uh-huh. um, in Palau when he was there. And we were planning our wedding <laughs> and he was gone for four months. And he came back and we got married, I think two weeks later. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it was like, I, that was when it was all AOL dial up with the, you've got mail. I and remember I that. Developed yeah. This incredible, like, like warm feeling in my heart when I heard <laughs> the voice say, you've got mail because it meant my husband who was off in the Palauan jungle 
for five days and or not husband my fiance right <laughs> um who was off for you know for five days so he was out of touch but he was back and emailing because of course nobody else was emailing me then you right. know and it just just was this this crazy experience to to you know um for for when he was in Palau and so then you know uh, gosh 15 years later um I write a book set in Palau because, of course, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, I know something about that place. <laughs> and so I wrote the book and it published in 16, 2000. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it published um, October of 16. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he ended up being sent back a different employer, different project, different lifetime mm-hmm. um, to Palau in um, February of 17. Oh, wow. So after, uh, it was a few months, was it 17? Yeah, yeah it was, it was, yeah, it was just, it was, I think it was just a few months after, after the book was out. Um, and, but one of the most amazing things was there were things that I had planted in the book and the timeline of the book. And I don't give the year that my books are set in, but there is actually a year mm-hmm. and I don't give it on purpose because I don't, you know, I don't want it to be dated. Right. But, um, but there were things that I had set up about like, so I had that the Navy was was doing a survey of the Palau the World War II site from the Battle of Peleliu, um, uh, you know, uh, in in you know April of 2017 was what, basically when it all happened and took place, and um, and my husband was there in April of 2017 oh for gosh. a study for the Navy. <laughs> god this is insane like there were so many things in my book that actually were like spot on yep that actually happened (laughs) that's amazing I could only imagine so do you get the occasional reader who's like she's so on point because occasionally I'll get a reader who's like oh my god you you some obscure thing I know about that you know (laughs) so I actually have a very good story for that so my book, Incriminating Evidence, uh, was published in 2015. I wrote it, I wrote the first draft in 2013, and then I completely rewrote it, but this one element remained the same throughout. I completely rewrote it in 14, and then published it in 15. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this experimental weapon that plays a pivotal role in the book, um, and um, it's it's based on infrasound. It's a sonic weapon that you know works on, on frequencies, and animals communicate with infrasound. It's like right. this known thing. But I did all this research on how infrasound may or may not be able to be weaponized. Well, in 2017, we all started seeing headlines about what happened at the embassy in Cuba, right? Um, where the American embassy in Cuba, where they they think that a sonic weapon potentially infrasound was used mm-hmm. <laughs> on Americans in the embassy and I had readers emailing me and like oh my god did you know yes and and I mean yeah like it's totally plausible like I mean I knew I mean yes I, the way I use it in my story is totally fictional and I give it properties that you know are not known and and probably not possible but at the same time I did in fact even have it like my characters were working on the, my villains were working on developing this weapon to sell to Russia. And of course it was Russia right. that was likely developing this infrasound type sonic weapon right. that was, you know, then used. So yeah. That's, 
Well, but I guess that what is the common belief that if things have to be imagined before they can be created. So, you know, mm-hmm. it has to be, somebody has to think yep. of it. So collectively, <laughs> there's some thought on that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. My, my research, you know, I do a lot of research before I make stuff up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and some people use it for good and others maybe not. So, <laughs> so I have to ask you what, brought you to writing because that's a switch. I mean, okay. In my head, that's a switch of, of, of jobs. It's not as if, I don't know. Well, yeah. So here's where you find out how egotistical I am. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was in high school, I, um, I was editor my senior year. I was editor of my high school literary magazine. And I just, I, I, you know, creative writing was like the class I loved, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was just, you know, and I was like, I'm going to be a writer someday. And I told, I mean, I, I I, uh, was great friends at the time with my creative writing teacher because she also ran the literary, like we'd go out to lunch. Like this was, you know, a high school teacher that I hung out with. Right. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to be an author someday. Um, and so I went off to college and I, my, my major that was declared, this is, I went to Florida state mm-hmm. was, um, English because they didn't have a creative writing degree. Okay. And so I looked at that and I was like, English, I don't want to major in English. I mean, I wanted to major in creative writing, but they weren't teaching that. Mm. And I was like, English and writing, I already know how to do that. Right. So maybe I should major in something that really fascinates me mm-hmm. so that I'll have something to write about later when I become a writer. Oh, that's so funny. And so it was like totally the, the arrogance of youth. Like I already know how to write, Nobody, <laughs> you know, I don't need to major in that. I know how to write. And so I majored in anthropology um, and, you know, I was just recognizing I had this incredible opportunity to go to school and study something that, that interested me. And so so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I'm mm. going to take it. I'm going to study the thing that fascinates me the most and really hope I get a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so then I did, I, you know, I got a job. I worked for a decade that entire time. I was kind of biding my time. I remember working in the field, I was screening dirt in the field, you know, mm-hmm. uh, working on test pits where I was all alone because my, the rest of the crew was at the other parts of the site. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, how could I use this in a book? You know, what would be a plot point? Like, and I had, I had no idea how to structure an entire novel. Right. I'd only ever written short stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but yeah, then it just basically, that was, that was my whole reason for <laughs> majoring it in anthropology was because I wanted to have something to write about later. This is so interesting because I, so when I was younger, I wanted to write for newspapers because um, I like a lot of dead industries. You, you name it. I wanted to do it. Newspaper photography. I'm in. So I met this columnist at the Hartford current. I, I haven't thought about this in years. And I think I must've asked him about what to major. And I was probably like 16 or 17. And he was like, whatever you do, don't major in English because you need to have something to write about. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> but I will say this. I majored in English. <laughs> but mainly because I wanted an excuse to read all day um, and also yeah. get a degree. But this is clearly like this is like low key laziness. I'm not going to lie. So I basically sat in my room and read books all day. And when I was done with assignments, then I would like read romance novels. So like, you know, I was not I was not learning, I, I was not putting forth nearly the effort to take on a new uh, vocation such as you did. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, we are where we are. But somebody, he did say that to me and it, obviously it didn't resonate, but it was interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Um, because he had that said that fascinating. I I love that actually because again it 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 eases my that that you know that that ego that I, had. <laughs> I mean I wasn't wrong. Right. Like, I I totally recognize that I wasn't wrong. Right. I did figure out writing. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time I look back and I kind of chuckle at that that you know the fact that 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 it was kind of you know I because I, I wasn't the most confident person at that age. Mm-hmm. So right, but there was this inner core. And it was probably thanks to that creative writing teacher who also believed in me. So you never know. I actually looked, tried to look her up because she's, she's not on Facebook or anything. Wait, that was my next um, question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually, I, I think I'm going to try again to find her because I would love to, I have, you know, I have this book coming out from Montlake, which is my first um, traditionally published book mm-hmm. uh, ever. And I would just, it would be like amazing to send her a copy. I know. And I think. <laughs> I I will speak for her because that's always great that I think she would be it would be heartwarming because sometimes um and I try to do this more oh my god so I took this class um this Yale offers this online class about happiness and one of the things that the professor her name is Lori Santos said that makes people happy is sharing how somebody influenced you with them it makes the Mm -hmm. person who gets the information happy but it also um, is gratifying for the person sharing the information. And I've thought a lot about that. So after that, I've been much more open with my appreciativeness of the influence that people have had on my life. And it's so interesting because I don't think, at least when I was talking to people, I don't know if they knew that they had that influence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, uh, it, yeah. So, okay, here's a fun story. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know, people who, when they don't know what kind of influence they have on other lives. Right. Um, my husband and I met um, on my very first archaeological dig that was a paid project. Mm-hmm. And it was at the West Point Sewage Treatment Plant in Seattle. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, I did meet my husband at a sewage treatment plant, um, uh, as one does. And um, so it was a really big project because the, the, this was 1992, and the sewage treatment plant was being expanded because – we need sewage treatment. Right. And um, uh, when uh, there was there was a day during the construction, there was a lot of construction going on. And there was a day during construction that USGS uh, geologist Brian Atwater um, was, came out to uh, the site at West Point, um, uh, the, the, which this is the plant at the time. It's not you know, there's no archaeological site there yet. Right. Um, he goes out there because he's studying tsunami activity. Um, oh. And as it shows up in the, the ge- geologic record, he's, right. he's um, you know, well known for, for his, his studies of that in this area. And so he shows up at the site and he sees um, in the wall profile, he sees this massive amount of shell. And it turns out it's a 4,000 year old shell midden. Mm-hmm. And he basically is like, hold up, stop the construction this is a site, it has to be addressed. Right. Um, this is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. This was a massive construction project. It was, it, it, it required them to halt construction in that area for, at that point, I think it was three or four months. Wow. It cost millions of dollars. It was a huge deal. And it was because we had to address the cultural resources that were being destroyed by this construction. Mm-hmm. And so, 
so um, my husband worked on the first segment of that project and um, I was actually uh, not in, I didn't live in Washington or Seattle at the time, but I had a close friend that I'd met at field school because I did my field school out here, mm-hmm. um, had, um, she'd gotten a job on the project. So um, right as the project is wrapping up, I've graduated and I'm looking for work and um, I get an email from my friend that they're going to be looking for work I should submit because there's going to be more phases of this project. And so, so I apply, I'm hired within days. I'm flying up to Seattle. I've moved to Seattle, like boom. (laughs) The day I moved to Seattle is the day my husband goes off to Jamaica to do field school and underwater archaeology. Not, it wasn't a field school. It was an underwater archaeology project that he, that he was, he did for the summer. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the summer, he comes back and then we meet and fall in love and live happily ever after. Right. In the meantime, there's this geologist named Brian Atwater who was the catalyst for okay. all that. He, he, you know, um, he, he, he found the site. He made them stop because you know that other people might have recognized there was a site there and they were looking the other way. You never right. know, you know, yeah, but exactly. it's so entirely possible. But anyways, so years later, my husband and I are out at Ocean Shores in Washington um, just for a weekend with the family, with our two kids. Our daughter is like, five at the time mm-hmm. and our son is is two or maybe six and three whatever right. anyways we see that there's this this thing going on at the community center um you know it's like the beachcombing fair and G- usgs geologist brian atwater is there signing books oh my god so we got to go in and introduce ourselves mm-hmm. and shake his hand and say we met because of you and right. here are our two children <laughs> Look at the lives we have created because of you. That is so yes. Like you're that ripple effect, that mm-hmm. ripple effect of the effect that you, 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 you threw a stone, right? <laughs> or rather, spotted a shell. Right. Is really what it did. <laughs> spotted a shell, and um, and here we are. So that is- I just I, I love stories like that where like there's like this this like you know I, I don't know what it meant to him, but it meant a lot to me to be able to tell him. <laughs> Yes. And so, yes. And so that's the, that's the thing. And it's just, um, it's so interesting because I think that, well, I don't know. I think that I don't have like an outsized influence on anyone's life. So, but you never know. Like, it's just, like, I think I've said to people, you said this thing offhand and it changed what I thought about whatever it is. And they're like, I don't even remember it. I was like, but it had a huge impact. Just trust me. (laughs) Trust me on that. That's awesome. Um, But it happens from time to time. So what, Okay, so I'm going to be honest. I don't know a lot about your publishing journey. What, what, well, what made you think? Not made you. I don't mean it the way it's going to sound, but like, what propelled you to publish? Um, well, I so I started writing with. Okay, I'll, I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version because I know I'm being long winded here. No. Um, in 2000, uh, September 10th, 2001. Okay. I remember that <laughs> day husband, as well. <laughs> yeah. My, my husband was interviewed for a job with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, he was already working for the Corps in Seattle. So mm-hmm. we knew it was a shoe in We knew that he was going to get the transfer and we, we would get to move to Hawaii mm-hmm. um, for three years. Because at the time, the Army, because it, even though he's a civilian, it was a, a, 
it, it was treated because it was the Corps of Engineers, it was treated as a, an overseas deployment mm-hmm. and they would pay for us to move there. And then after three to five years, depending on how long we wanted to stay, they would pay to move us back. Okay. So it was like, well, who wouldn't take a three-year trip Detour. to Hawaii? Why, why not? <laughs> and we had, we had um, our daughter um, at the time was 20 months old. She was born on the 11th. So I know exactly how old she was on wow. September 11th. She was 20, 20 months old. And I woke up on the morning of, gosh, okay. I think I, I said it to him on the 10th. I believe he, he came home from work that day because we'd known for months that he was going to have this interview. We, it was all, you know, the buildup and we'd gone back and forth from, do we want to move? Do we not? Because, you know, taking a young child, we wanted to have another baby. Um, do we want to move? Um, um, at this stage, but it was like, but it's three years in Hawaii. Like we, yeah, we want to do it. So I told him, and I think it was the night before, but it might have been after, but I'm pretty sure it was the night before I told him, I I, I was like, okay, I ran the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, and cause I was still working part-time, but I was working from home, um, taking care of our daughter. And, and I was like, all right, I've run the numbers. And I think that with the amount that you're going to make in Hawaii, um, that I can quit my job, mm-hmm. which was important to both of us because there, there were reasons right. that there were, I was working for consulting firms that were bidding on core contracts mm-hmm. and my bosses wanted to, they, they thought for some reason that it would help their bid that, that my husband was reviewing the contract. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. He's going to recuse himself. Right. You know, like, yeah. like, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. Right. And, but you know, it was basically like, if I can quit my job, then that'll remove that stress, right. you know? And so I was like, all right. Here's the deal. I've run the numbers. We can afford for me to quit my job. I want to have another baby mm-hmm. and I want to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> that was the deal I made. It was like, if I'm quitting, you know, I'm going to have all this extra time, right? Right, of course. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> baby. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anyways, so that was, it was actually not long after we moved to Hawaii. We, we, we moved actually uh, in December of, of that year, of 2001. Um, we, we moved to Hawaii and we were there for three years and I told everyone before we left, I was like, cause I'm going to hold myself accountable. I right. always do. I always work best when I, when I commit to something and then I'll be embarrassed if I don't fulfill <laughs> it. So yeah. I said, Oh, by the way, aside from having another baby, when we're in Hawaii, I'm going to also write a novel. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> and so I did. I mean, basically, yeah, I did. And that was, and so that was when I started, I started writing in 2002 I took a long year and a half break when I got pregnant because I couldn't think. Mm -hmm. And then, and then my son was nine months old when I was like, Oh crap, we're only going to be in Hawaii for another year. (laughs) I need to um, write that book that I told everyone I was going to write. So I finished it about four months before we moved back. I finished the first draft and then, and then I came back and I had this whole journey of learning. Actually, I like, I wrote the book without knowing without seeking out any guidance. I wasn't in RWA. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could join any writer's, organization before I had a book written because I just it just felt like I for me that didn't work for right. me I felt like I had to at least have a book under my belt before mm-hmm. I could say I'm a, I'm a writer um and so so I joined RWA basically in 2005 right after we moved back and went to my first conferences um the 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 speakers at my very first conference were Kristen Hanna <laughs> Oh gosh. And Jill Barnett. Jill Barnett became a mentor mm-hmm. uh, to me. She, she, I worked for her for a while and she critiqued everything. She, I learned so much from her. Kristen, um, 
uh, is amazing and she brilliant <laughs> and she's, you know, become a friend and, you know, I don't, I, you know, the last number of years, life has been too busy. So I haven't, um, seen her, um, as much cause, uh, but, but it just, uh, she's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel I was like, so like there was one conference, gosh, I think it was one of the New York conferences before I had an agent. Mm-hmm. I remember Kristen just stopping me and quizzing me like, all right, give me your elevator pitch. And like, you know, oh, like, wow. working with me, like, I mean, like, yeah. like I've been really lucky. Mm-hmm. I've been really, really lucky that I had some amazing women who, who reached out to me and, and taught me so much so but I think that that for me at least that's the sort of hallmark of the writing community and the romance writing community that there's so many people who are super helpful and mm-hmm. super engaged and I've gotten a lot of help I mean <laughs> I've gotten yeah I know I, I just I'm blown away I'm okay mm-hmm. so my next book in my evidence series um which is going to probably release in the fall mm-hmm. Um, my heroine is a, an online sex worker mm-hmm. and which is something different. I haven't written that before. I usually write archeologists. <laughs> it's very different, but I, so I did a lot of research and I started looking up online, like, you know, a lot of cam girls cause she's a, she's a cam girl. Right. And so I started looking up information and, and I found like, especially this one blog by a cam girl who was like, I want to teach you other women who want to get into this line of work, how to make money. And she like had the most helpful, like, like wonderful information. And it reminded me of romance authors. <laughs> it totally was like, this community is amazing. Like we're going to, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. We're going to lift up everybody and not see each other as competition. Right. We're not, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was really cool. It was- I, I, um, Yes, I will say that. Yes, I'll just leave that there. There, but yes, because um, I may have written a book about sex work in my in my other world. But yes, it's a there are there's something about community, and obviously in the last in 2020, I've had a lot of time to think about community. Um, that well, I never will discount again. I don't even know if I did before that, but I certainly will not again because it's so I don't know, heartening to sort of be able to reach out to people and have them be super helpful um, and super supportive and encouraging, um, yes, especially absolutely. in writing, which, well, I find writing daunting, like many books in, I still, every day it's like, oh, here we go. And <laughs> it's so, <laughs> one of the things I love about writing is that I'm home all day and then, but all of the people I know are also home all day. So I can reach out like at one in the afternoon, eight at night, you know, 7 a.m., um, if I have questions or need support and I really mm-hmm. appreciate it to such a degree. Um, yeah. 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 There, you know, the authors are my coworkers. I mean, you know, cause we, it's a solitary business. Mm-hmm. And so I have my chat window open <laughs> yes. all the, you know, uh, except for when I'm doing like the sprinting and I have the noise canceling headphones on, oh. but I have the chat window there and I have, you know, this group of women who are my coworkers. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we message every single day and I don't even know how I would have gotten through the last year and a half without them. I often wonder, oh, and I just said this to an author, um, actually Evelyn Adams, and I was like, okay, I can't burn you out. <laughs> but I mean, every there's like, I don't know, maybe like five or 10 authors that I message like every day or every other day. And it's just, I, I like, I love having conversations, but obviously here by myself, well, not last year because my son was home, obviously, but just, <laughs> but you know, he's 11. So, but being able to have like adult conversations as they come up, is great because I don't have like the office setting or any of that where I can have those. 
Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's super interesting. Vital. <laughs> so how many books have you written? And I actually have no idea because I don't know. I don't keep up with other people. Often. I um, just finished my 20th book. How does that feel? So, uh, I am just, it's, it feels really good. Like it's, I, so here's the thing. I've written 20 books. I started writing in, um, as I mentioned, 2002, but mm-hmm. I didn't really, like I didn't publish until 2013. Right. And at that point, I think I had three books drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I first published, I had three books completely done. And then I did publish three books that year. Oh, we talked Since about then, this, I realize two- now. Yeah. Because we're yeah, in similar so this, places. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this year, so so I'm, since then, I published two books a year, every year. Well, this year, um, I've changed my process in multiple ways. But basically, I was looking at this the other day. And in um, 10 months, in the last 10 months, I wrote four books. <gasps> three of which, well, okay, so one was only, one was a novella, 28,000 mm-hmm. words. Right. The next one was 112. The next one was 113. And this last one was 102. Wow. So I wrote three books in 10 or four books in 10 months. I've never done that before. And so I'm, I'm, it's, it feels really good. It feels, it feels, you know, when, and I, I don't, I, I recognize that I can't think that I'm going to necessarily sustain that, but I do feel like I've, I've hit a, a, process that is really working for me and I love the books like I love you know like mm. it just it just feels like magical <laughs> I'm in a oh magical my God. Place. wait I have to ask <laughs> questions because do you think it is okay so okay my 2020 was not nearly as productive um so <laughs> I wrote a lot of half books so do you think that it's either the having more time not that well 2020 is sort of different but do you think it's having <laughs> more time or do you think you finally hit your stride well, it's a combination. So one thing was that for two of those books, I had a deadline mm-hmm. that for helped. the contract, which mm-hmm. I've never had before. Right. So that was like, you know, like it just straight up, you know, given. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to do that. <laughs> right. And, um, uh, but the other thing, and this is, this is actually kind of the, mm-hmm. the interesting part. I had two catastrophic computer crashes in January uh-huh. on my laptop. Mm-hmm. And like, like I had a backup. Um, and so it wasn't that catastrophic, mm-hmm. but I was 20,000 words into the second contracted book Okay, that was due in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then I had a crash and then the computer came and was sent off and I was, you know, uh, working on a very old laptop that, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, you pull out <laughs> of the dust. Along. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then the computer came back and, and I, switched back to, you know, the, the laptop that had been fixed. And then a week later it crashed. Oh my gosh. And, and that time I didn't lose a single word. Like the first time I lost a few thousand words, but Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, all right, but I just wrote them. So I knew I had them in my head. That's fine. I'm not even going to freak out about that. I'm just, I'm just like freaked out that, you know, my computer crashed. Um, and the second time I didn't lose even a single sentence, but, but it's kind of that, like, all right, this is a fist in the gut. I don't <laughs> trust my computer anymore. Right. Um, so, and I'm on the phone with Apple um, going over, you know, like the, you know, how, how it's going to work with me mailing the computer back in again mm-hmm. um, and how long it's going to take. <sighs> and I'm thinking, and I'm just thinking like, I don't want to work on my desktop computer because mm-hmm. I have a desktop computer. Right. Thank goodness. Oh my God. If I didn't have a desktop computer, I would be, I would still be a basket case. Mm-hmm. But I had a desktop that had most of the backups and I was able to back up the, 
seems anyways. So, so as I'm on the phone with him and I'm like, I don't want to, I have, this book is due really soon <laughs> and I don't want to, I hate sitting at the desktop. Right. I, I need to be like, you know, in a different position to, to be writing on a laptop. And then I suddenly remembered as I'm on the phone with him, I was like, wait a minute. I have a, a Neo, an Alpha Smart, which is just basically oh, a keyboard. Oh, uh, yes. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait, I have a Neo. I'll just, I'll just write on that this week. I'll just, you know, well, I'll send it off and, uh-huh. you know, and I'll just write on the Neo. And I've had the Neo for like 10 years and I've used it here and there, but I've never gotten in the habit of right. using it. Right. And basically I was like, all right, Rachel, this is your moment. You are, I am going to embrace this process change because I have always wanted to write on the Neo because there's no interaction. There is no distraction. And it's even a pain in the ass to edit. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to edit on it um, that, you know, you only edit the things that are really vital. Like you just don't want to lose that, you know, like that in your mind. So you edit that and then you, you jump to the end and you keep writing forward. So I finished that book in like the fastest I've ever finished a book because even after the laptop came back, I was like, nope, writing on the Neo. And so at the same time, I ordered a free write mm-hmm. because Neos aren't made anymore. And um, free That's are... right. I remember that. Yes. When they discontinued. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the free, I ordered a free write traveler because I was like, this change in my process is kind of amazing. And I want to have a device that I can count on. And the free write didn't arrive until I think it because they were back ordered. Right. And so it arrived in like April, but it was right when I was in the middle of, I was like 20,000 words into the next book. Like mm-hmm. I finished the other one on the, on the Alpha Smart, the Neo. And then my free write arrived. And so then I wrote the, and it's amazing. Like for me, that was my biggest stumbling block was getting, distra- was editing, right. was going back and editing the words I'd already written to try to make it perfect before I could move on. Mm-hmm. Or going online to research, is this the right word? Is this the right, you know, detail? Is this the right thing? And then two hours later. (laughs) And so, so I, I have my group of author friends that I have this chat. We have a a 1k one hour chat thread where we chime in and we're like, all right, I'm starting at the zero zero because we're all in different time zones. Right. And I'm, I'm doing an hour and then we'll all chime in after our hour is up, how many words we wrote. And, but when I'm writing on the, the alpha or the Neo or the free write, I'm not going online and doing other things. And so my word counts like increased. I basically, I went from, from writing, you know, 1500 to 2000 words a day to writing 4,000 words a day. Wow. And, uh, oh. and, you know, the other thing is just, I'm, I'm a better writer now than I used to be that mm-hmm. those 4,000 words were actually usable and not crap. Right. Because <laughs> once upon a time, if I was writing 4,000 words in a day, I'd throw out half of them. Right. But, but um, I'm, you know, but yeah, so that's, that's been my shift. I'm intrigued because now I feel like there may be secret sauce. Like I was just like, <laughs> did she just give me the secret? This is so interesting because distraction. So, you know, I mean, we've talked about this like as a group, but there's like 10,000 apps and I have all of them installed. Like one thing, like Etsy's like a hole that I can't ever get out of. So Etsy's blocked. Like and recently somebody was like, did you see that thing? And actually I clicked the link and I was like, oh no, no, I'm blocked from Etsy. <laughs> so maybe later. Like I have to go find yeah. a phone or an iPad or something to do it, but I'm blocked. I'm blocked from everything. Like I literally have to block everything in order to write because every question that's like an easy answer ends up being like a whole, oh my God. Like I learned about the Koppen Geiger climate system because, I, because I had a, <laughs> I had a character 
Actually, her name is Nicole Long. She's a tasty um, in, in the thriller series. And she was, it was November and she was in New Orleans. And I was like, what is the weather like in November in New Orleans? Because I think I've only been there in the spring. And so then I'm looking it up and then I was like, what are the climate systems? And then I, oh my God, <laughs> I know a lot yep. more about climate systems that I can't. <laughs> when am I going to be using the Koppengeiger climate system? Like never. But it was yeah. just like, and then an hour later, I looked up and I was like, oh, I haven't written anything, but I know about climate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, right? So, and this is, so my, uh, sometime in the last year, I can't remember when it was, there was the, the uh, traditionally published literary author mm. who had a list of ingredients for something. I don't remember what it was in his book. And one of, and the ingredients were from Legend of Zelda. Oh, really? Because, <laughs> because he clearly did the, fastest search ever right copied the list and slapped it in the book right and i'm like here i am like you know you're you're searching you know microclimates <laughs> <laughs> like that's what we do like our research is is so amazing but it also sometimes goes farther than necessary <laughs> way farther than necessary the only redemption i'm going to say because i have really fallen off a lot of clips the only redemption is one book i wrote was actually inspired by research like i did fall off a cliff so at some point my character so i have a main character in my thriller her name is casey Corton. so at some point she's doing adoption cases which turned out to be like international like abduction and her father looks at her and he says well i don't know why you think adoption's a happy ending because it, it, is, it isn't always so you know my mind spun out and next thing i know i'm like researching lebensborn babies which is a whole Nazi scheme to call children when people in Germany were not having children fast enough. But mm, it was this. Wow. Yeah. So it ended up being a book. So I'm only, that's the only justification, but I'm not going to tell you that I didn't go on like a, a few month rabbit hole where I was watching documentaries <laughs> and I was at the library getting books and, you know, but, and then you'd look up and you go, but I'm not writing that book. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm, I'm the same way. So my, my book that's set in South Sudan, mm -hmm. I realized I wanted to have a scene where the hero asked, like, because they're stranded, they're stranded, they're alone, they're isolated, they're trying to get a message out to get a rescue. Mm -hmm. And I basically have, a, you know, I wanted the hero to be like, so what happens if you get your period? Because they have nothing, right. you know? And she's been a, she's a social, she's an aid worker. Mm -hmm. So she's been in South Sudan for, you know, uh, I think it was six or eight months at that point. So, you know, she, she's like, oh, you know, blah, you know, you know, she gives her answer right. and, and, and we move on. Well, but then I was like, okay, well, what do people do in South Sudan? Mm -hmm. So I, that started my rabbit hole of research and, and opened up like my, you know, like period poverty and everything. And that became a focal point of the book. Right. So there you go. Like same with your adoption story. Right. Like sometimes just that passing question becomes pivotal. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> yes. Other times. So I'm going to say this. I am never going to write a book about microclimates in the U.S ever i can't see how that would ever come up <laughs> i don't know right? you, i don't know if you are are old enough to have ever watched um general hospital yes but once upon a time there was a, di a manufactured diamond that could control the weather yes <laughs> so never say never is all i'm gonna say right? about that um but it's just it's it's hard but i i've always looked at the alpha smart people and i thought that seems interesting 
And then I walked away because I like color. Like I like the colors of the computer and I, ch- I get up every day and I change the color <laughs> background, which is like how I start the day. It's like, is it pink today or is it purple? And then I learned how you can change it on the Mac. I mean, you know, so there's a whole lot of like distractions that go with like yeah. having color. <laughs> So I'm just. I get that. It's, I, I love color. I haven't ever. Oh, now. Hmm. Maybe I'll do that for edits. <laughs> because I basically that is my you know my my thing now. Like I've like fully fully made the switch. I am only I'm gonna first draft on either the neo or the free write. Wow. Period. Just because it just really really changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, especially because it does keep me from going back and editing. And and I can I, I'll jot notes like right. okay go back and fix this. Mm-hmm. You know like I'll put it in brackets. Go back and fix this. Right. Because you know um I realize you're ne- gonna need to add a scene here and there. But um, but during edits I I do love color. I I do love you know the yeah <laughs> and that has to be done on the computer so I could make that more fun. Yeah. See, there's all sorts of look at I look at the rabbit holes I can introduce you to. Let me tell you, because um, my son looked at me the other day. He goes, "Is that a quote in the back of the MacBook?" I was like, "Yes." I, the other day, I was looking and I decided I need quotes to come up every hour. <laughs> but whatever. And then uh, I've spent many hours setting that up. So I have a question that I've been asking um, almost everyone I've interviewed because um, somebody asked it of me. And I took me, I had to meditate on an answer to be frank, but is there a common sort of theme or thread now that you're 20 books in that you can see, well, is well, maybe inadvertent or maybe on purpose, like that comes up throughout the, the books. Story. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have wondered about this for a long time and I think it's not in every book for sure, mm-hmm. but I think that the one that I keep coming back to, the one that resonates with me the most mm-hmm. is found family. Okay. Is that, you know, my characters often aren't coming from a warm and loving family place, or if they did have that, they don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so generally you will find that one way or another, um, my characters are getting a new family. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that, that for me is really a huge part of happily ever after. And it's a huge part of my own life. Right. So it's kind of not too surprising. That is so interesting. <laughs> so, um, do you, I don't know if you know, Rachel Heron, uh, but that was her core story as well. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She writes thrillers. She lives in, well, she's moving, but she lives in Northern California for 14 more minutes. Um, <laughs> Well, lots of people, you know, they had that pandemic. They're like, I'm moving, you know, mm-hmm. and she had said it years ago. And then like, it's coming to fruition. <laughs> um, but she's actually the only other person who said that. Um, and it's not, oh, interesting. it's not my story. I mean, like, that's not of interest to me. Like not, a, I don't mean generally, but it's not the story oh, I'm yeah, trying no. to tell. Yeah, um, no, we all, we all have our own different thing that resonates with us, I think. And, and um, yeah, it, it actually surprised me to realize that that those were the stories that, that of, of my own. I mean, I love everything I've written, mm-hmm. but I realized the ones that really tug at my emotional strings mm-hmm. um, on a deeper level are the ones where where either the hero, it's usually not both, but either the hero or the heroine is is realizing at the end that they they you know have a safe place. Um, a safe family that loves them and you know like I was like oh okay yeah I can see why that resonates with me you know <laughs> so a sense of security I guess is important in, in those to those yeah, characters yeah, yeah. wow yeah. okay that's <laughs> that's so interesting I um <laughs> I'm I'm on my own journey apparently because I'm all about redemption <laughs> but um yeah I was gonna say so what is your what is your core story just re- yeah. redemption and vindication so because I want 
especially in, in romance, I'm really interested in damaged heroines. I don't like damaged heroes, but I do like damaged heroines. Um, just somebody, I don't want to say to help them heal because they need to heal on their own, but sort of somebody who is sympathetic to them in that process. Um, I sort of really mm-hmm. love that idea that he, even though she has flaws and they may be a little outsized, that she's still worthy of love. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm like, I love that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a yeah, deep, definitely. deep thing that I really like. I looked up and I was like, oh, 25 books. And I think I've told that story 22 times. <laughs> <You know? laughs> maybe not all the time, but maybe a lot of the time. Um, and then redemption and vindication. But that's what I get out of thrillers. And that's actually the thing I like most about thrillers. Like, I, the world is unfair and that is okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect like some wholesale change in my lifetime, but I do like small scale victories. Mm-hmm. And, and thrillers usually provide that. So there's usually yeah. some bad guy. And they're not always bad. I don't do psychopaths because I don't, because they don't really have a reason. So I don't either. I need people so who have a we're reason. We're the same that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so without <laughs> psychopaths or sociopaths, then I'm always interested in the reason that people are doing what they're doing and then some vindication from the hero or heroine. Um, which... have, have you ever read Carol O'Connor? No. Um, her that. Mallory series. I, I haven't. I think I'm I'm a few behind on the end, but um, well, or actually, her heroine, the the main character, Mallory, mm-hmm. is a sociopath, mm-hmm. um, and she's a police officer in New York City. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a lot that she plays with there, and and um, I love I, I started reading these books long before I started writing. Mm-hmm. There's one in particular that I would say is a master craft in reveals, mm-hmm. like how to how to how to do a reveal that just, you know, blows you away as a reader. Okay. But, um, but one of the things that's early on in like one of the early books where the heroine is like, you know, I like money motives. And then she's, she gets that from her father who was also a New York city police detective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that I'm drawn to that too. Like, I mean, it doesn't always, it's not always a money motive, but I, my motive is never that they're crazy. Right, right, right. My mo I mean, you know, there there's always a a solid, you know, motive for the villain that there is something that they are trying to achieve. Right. Um and it's, you know, money, power. Right. You know. <laughs> no, that's so interesting cuz sociopaths and psychopaths are more like who done it and I want more like why done it. Like I want yeah, to know exactly. why. Exactly. Me too. Because sociopaths yes, don't absolutely. have a why, or they and yeah. and I don't always hide who did it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, sometimes you know from the from the almost the start who did it. Mm-hmm. What matters is the why, and that's always what I want to uncover. And so, actually, I just wrote my first who done it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it was uh okay. A it was harder than I thought, or I actually I don't know what I thought in the beginning. It, I went down a road and I thought, oh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are and I was like I don't know like 40,000 words in and I realized that in order to finish the whole story it's gonna be 90,000 it was only supposed to be 75 and then I was like uh here we go but <laughs> it was fine but it was certainly a lot more work I really now respect those because I'm all about the figuring out the why and so catching somebody it turns out to be like oh my god so much work <laughs> <laughs> so much work and I really admire authors now who really spin that out because I'm like that's a skill I don't know if I have that skill like I'm trying to consider doing that going forward but that was a lot of work <laughs> like I, I was like because you have to like what I figured I don't plot so I've really figured out that I have to figure it out mm-hmm. I, I got to 50 to get all those red herrings in there damn yes it. I and I was that. like oh well this is and then I had to stop 
and then figure it out. And that was like three days that I wasn't writing. And then I had to go back and write. And I thought, oh, this is, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So it felt satisfying in the end, but it was more work than I normally put into a book. And I don't know if I would like to continue that going forward, which is actually a debate I'm having in my head. I've been, I took, after book 25, I took a couple of weeks off and I'm really thinking about how I want to structure the next series. Uh, Are you, so you finished it, you wrapped up a series? Maybe. I haven't decided. (laughs) No, I finished book 10. Um, Book nine just came out. Yeah. So I finished book 10. I wrote the, the prequel for the new series but I have to decide on the direction. So the prequel is just a prequel. You know, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a big story. It's a little story um, yeah, introducing yeah. the character. So now I have to decide if the big story is going to be similar to what I've done before or more whodunit. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking deeply about it because I'm trying to decide if I'm up to the task, to be frank. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause books are, I was saying this to somebody else recently, but I have a vision when I start a book. And when I finish the book, that is not what happens. Um, and I have to live with what I always feel like is a bigger story. And I do the best I can, but it's never like this perfect masterpiece that I see in my head. Um, yeah. But I have to decide how much I can dial down the perfectionism to try something new. Yeah. 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 The, the, that whole aspect of, um, I, I, I am without, I'm not going to go into any details, but that I've, tried some things with mm-hmm. with uh, my next evidence book which um uh uh the, the one that i've just finished that are are different structurally than anything i've ever done before right you know and it's i think the 11th book in the series i mean it, it's it's written as a standalone right but it is it's daunting it's daunting to just be like okay time to just do something totally different but i also think that that kind of feed, feeds us creatively you know we need to like i don't know yeah, it, it, it felt like it was time. It was mm. time to do something different. <laughs> so that's what it feels like. But I'm going to sit with that before I make that kind of decision. Yeah, because yeah. then <laughs> I, because I once it. you commit, then I would be committed. And it, I think the next book is next series will be like a trilogy. The prequel novella, notwithstanding, that's just its own thing. But I think it's going to be a trilogy. And I was like, but before I commit to like 270 thousand words, let me <laughs> let me decide what that commitment's going to be. Um, yeah, and so I'm going to spend. Maybe the summer thinking about that. Probably not that long because if I don't write that long, I get a little antsy. But yeah. maybe it's hard to say. So, are you? How can I say this? Your career is going great. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Are you satisfied with? Would your younger self be amazed or satisfied with where you are now? Totally, totally. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really excited. I so for the first time ever. So I've, I have never had more than one pre-order available at a time. Mm-hmm. And right at this minute, I have three pre-orders available. Wow. Okay. And you know, it just, it's different. And two of them are Montlake books. Mm-hmm. So I have a publisher who's going to help me promote them. I've never had that before. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, Huge. like exciting and new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the other, the, the third pre-order is, is this book that's the 11th in the series, mm-hmm. which um, is a character that I have quite literally tortured in previous <laughs> books. I really feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. I really, really feel bad about what I did to him. Remember that stuff I said earlier about infrasound yes. and um, Russian torture? Yes. Yeah, this guy <laughs> went through that. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so he so deserves something nice. <laughs> he does. He deserves his happily ever after. But it's also a character that readers really want. Right. Because, I mean, I almost killed him. I was going to, I was 
truly going to kill him off in, in incriminating evidence. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't because I'm not that mean. <laughs> and then and then I ended up torturing him in another book because I'm even more mean. <laughs> and so, but I'm just in this place where like, and now I've written his book, which I'd never planned to do, but it just seemed like the right thing to do after torturing a guy twice. Right. Um, <laughs> And I just love it so much. And it came out even, you know, better than I expected, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't always that, <laughs> that <true>. nice, <laughs> especially because so many readers are actually waiting for this book. So it is, it feels, it's it's a great place to be. And I've never been in this place before where I have a book that is absolutely eagerly awaited by my current readers. And then I have two other books that are going to reach a bigger audience than I've ever reached before. Yes. You I know, think so. even if, yeah. Yeah, even if it, even if it's a you know a flop by Montlake standards, it's going to be you know my best selling book ever. You know, <laughs> no, you know? I'm so excited for you in the future. I can't I can't say now. I'm going to go like I'm going to go look up the Publishers Weekly thing. But okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you so so much for taking the time to speak with me today, uh, Rachel. I've it's truly been so enjoyed much fun. it. And I have enjoyed it so much and it totally put me out of my comfort zone because I am really afraid of just talking off the cuff, but I appreciate it so much that you reached out to me and I just loved every minute of this. Okay. Thank you so much, Rachel. All right. This has been A Time to Thrill with me, your host, author, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others to find and listen to my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. They're available wherever books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod, find me on Facebook at Casey Court series, or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with you soon with more great conversations.